Good morning. Well, maybe we'll have a couple seasons in one day today, huh? Winter this morning and spring this afternoon. Uh, Dr. Like is uh, representing the college at Northwest District Assembly in Spokane, Washington today and tomorrow. And uh, he asked me to introduce our our special speaker and singer and just great friend of Nazarene Bible College, Brother Gary Haynes today. Most of you know Gary. How many of you not, have not heard or met Gary before? Well, let me just tell you a little bit about Gary. <laughs> Gary is a graduate of Nazarene Bible College. Uh, prior to his conversion, he spent 14 years as a professional entertainer. And God got a hold of his heart, radically changed his life, came to Colorado Springs to prepare for uh, ministry and has served the church through, I'm not going to say how many years, as a tenured evangelist, uh, which means he travels about 40 weeks a year preaching and teaching and singing in churches coast to coast, border to border, uh, uplifting the name of Jesus. He's a real friend of Nazarene Bible College. He loves this place and he loves you, and I know you want to welcome Gary Haynes this morning. Gary? Thank you, Dr. Grace. Thank you. Well, what a treat this is for me. Why is it, I was telling uh, Brother Aaron Beatty, why is it every time I get involved with the school, it snows and rains? That's what happened with the golf tournament last year, too. I thought this would be good golf weather, amen? <laughs> I think the guy that wrote that ought to get a big amen. Here's another one. I know I'm just kidding. Amen. If you got him, you got everything. If you don't have him, you don't have anything at all. What should happen if a man should gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what would he give in exchange for his soul? I'm glad I want Jesus. Amen. You know, I, I pondered for a long time, what do I preach to the staff and the, and the faculty here? My word and all the messages you've ever heard. And then I remember Dr. Williamson telling us in class one day, he said, class, sometimes you're going to go to the pulpit. You can't figure out what to do. He said, don't kid yourself. We've all been there. But he said, whenever that happens, preach holiness. We're a holiness church. And I've done that time and time again over all these years. And so with that in mind, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man should see the Lord. And all God's people said, you may be seated. Many people today ask this question, why is holiness so important? Why do we talk about holiness and sanctification and John Wesley all the time? And I'm afraid many folks today have become disillusioned with all the talk of John Wesley and they begin to think that this is something that he dreamed of. Sadly, many preachers today have completely stopped preaching and teaching holiness as a necessity. Bring this up for me, Josh. But merely as a nice option. Much like a car salesman who would try to sell you a CD player or heated seats in a new car and he doesn't want to push the issue too, too much because he's afraid he might lose the sale. And unfortunately, many preachers today preach and teach holiness as a nice option or a dream that they could try to obtain in this life, but they never will, so why bother? But I believe there's more to holiness than that. I'd like to share three reasons why I believe holiness needs to be embraced, 
and why holiness is important. I read some insights from a man by the name of Dr. John Earl, and, uh, and he reminded me, and I remind you today, it's important and we need to embrace it because Christ died for it. I said, Christ died for it. Hebrews 13:12, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. And we see here that Jesus Christ suffered. I want you to just ponder that word for a moment. We just came through the Easter season with the scourging of the cat and nine tails and all the suffering that he went through. We see that Jesus Christ suffered, and he shed his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, but he shed his own blood at Calvary that we could be sanctified and be made holy. I googled this passage of scripture and uh, came up with an insight from Dr. Spurgeon. You ever heard of him? Jesus Christ suffered outside the gate and Dr. Spurgeon said, you know that when the high priest offered the sin offering because it typified sin, it was so obnoxious to God that it might not be burned on the great altar, but it was always burned outside the camp to show how much God detested sin and his determination not only to put it away from himself, but also to put it away from his church. Now when our Lord Jesus Christ came to this world to be our sin offering, it behooved him also to be put outside the camp. And it's very interesting to note how remarkably providence provided for the fulfillment of the type. Had our Lord been killed in a tumultuous uproar, he probably would have been slain in the city. Unless he had been put to death judiciously, judiciously he would not have been taken to Mount Calvary. And it's remarkable that the Romans should have chosen a hill on the outside of the city to be a common place for crucifixion and punishment for death. We might have imagined that they would have selected some place in the center of the city. But in the providence of God, it was arranged otherwise. Christ must not be slain in tumultuous uproar. He must not die in the city. And when he was delivered into the hands of the Romans, they had not a place of execution within the city, but one outside the camp. And by dying outside the gate, he proved to be the sin offering for his people. And then Dr. Spurgeon went on to say, first, he said, do you know who the people were who lived outside the gate? He said, if you could have gone to the great camp of Israel, you'd see all the tents in order. Uh, the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Ephraim, etc., surrounding the Ark of the Covenant. And then you'd see a few wretched huts way out far in the distance outside the camp. And you might ask this question, who lives there? Who are the poor people that are put away, way out there uh, at a distance, and they can't go to the sanctuary of the Lord to present their offerings unto him or to join in the songs of praise unto his holy name? The answer to your inquiry would have been the people out there are the lepers and those who are unclean. In fact, they had to go through the city saying, unclean, unclean. And who was that type of a leper? He was a picture of you and me in our natural state, and if the Holy Spirit had quickened us and made us to know our ruined condition, we would feel much like those lepers felt at that time. Unclean, unclean. And then Dr. Spurgeon went on to say, Leper, be of good cheer. Christ died outside the camp that you might be sanctified through his blood. Leprous sinner, hear this and believe it for yourself. Look unto him who died outside the camp that poor unclean sinners might find a Savior there. Praise his holy name forever. He did not just die so that we could be saved from committed sin or the transgressions of sin, but he died that we might be free from all sin. He, and he's talking about the sin nature, the original sin nature. He suffered without the gate that he might sanctify the people 
And by rejecting his holiness, we are, in fact, rejecting his horrible death on the cross. The reason he died again was that we might be sanctified. And if we reject this second definite work of divine grace, then we are rejecting him. Hebrews 6 and 1 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundations of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And then in verse 6 he tells us, that if we don't go on to perfection, then we crucify Christ all over again. Listen, holiness needs to be embraced. And holiness is important because Christ died for it. Holiness and sanctification is God's will. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. First Thessalonians 4, 3 and following. It is God's will that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body, in a way that is holy and honorable, and not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and in this matter they should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we've already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And therefore he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit, praise his holy name. And so holiness needs to be embraced because Christ died for it. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 5:19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. Faithful is he who calleth you, who will also do it. I came across the story by Benjamin West, who was a great painter. And he was talking of a, another colleague named Gilbert Stewart, who was known for his beautiful colorings in his paint, painting. He told his class one day that it was no use to try to steal Stewart's colors. But if you really want to paint like he does, you must steal his eyes and see what he sees. And in the same way, when we're baffled and frustrated in our efforts to live as Christ lived, the truth is... The record of his life, as wonderful as, as, as it is, will not enable us to be like him. And what we need is his heart. We need his divine nature. We need his divinity within us. And until we're filled with the Holy Spirit and completely sanctified through and through, we are not all that Christ wants us to be. Jesus Christ died for our sanctification. And this is the reason why we need to embrace it and why it's so vitally important. Holiness did not begin with John Wesley. No, it began long before that, 2,000 years ago, on a cross called Calvary. And that's why holiness is important. And it, Christ died for it. Secondly, the carnal nature drives us without it. Romans 7:14 and following. For Paul said, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it but it's sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I want, do not want to do, it's no longer me that does it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind 
and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that has worked within my members. Then he went on to say, what a wretched man I am. The most miserable Christians I see as I travel are the carnal Christians. They're saved, but they're not filled with the Holy Spirit and living in the Spirit. Paul said, what a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he went on to say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, hallelujah. Paul wrote these verses describing his battle to do the whole law of the Old Testament, but he recognized the sin nature in his heart, and he battled with it to overcome it. And so many people today get tied up in Romans 7, but they fail to go on to Romans 8. Paul was battling with the sin nature, which was driving him to do things that he did not want to do. But with the sin nature, the inbred nature of sin, and even Catholics believe in the original sin nature, the inbred nature of sin in the heart, he cannot fully conquer it. Paul was disillusioned and crying out for deliverance from his sin nature. And I, I've got to tell you this, it's a good thing he didn't go to some of the preachers today and say, how do I get delivered from this? Because I'm afraid they wouldn't have given him much hope and much encouragement. But I've got a news flash for you. It's good news. Deliverance from the sin nature is available. I said it's available. Somebody ought to get happy right about now. It's available. Romans 8 and 1, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, listen, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Somebody ought to get happy, man. Amen. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sin nature, God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do, not live, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. And those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. One of the most beautiful benefits of being sanctified, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. He's in total charge of your life. And boy, you can lay your head on the pillow at night and you got a peace the world didn't give you and the world can't take it away. And the Bible is very, very clear on this issue. We must be delivered from the sin of carnality in our hearts and lives. It's like a forest worker that works out there in the forest. The absolute necessity of the indwelling Spirit of God is demonstrated by those who take care of the trees in the forest. You see, whitewashing and spraying never reaches some of the parasites attacking the tree. So the forester goes to the very heart of the tree. And he introduces some chemical solutions which mingle with the sap and circulate through every branch and leaf. And then the tree is rendered absolutely safe from all parasites. And I, I saw this with my own eyes uh, in my house in Glen Eagle. Uh, I lived next door uh, to a friend of mine, and, and uh, he, he, his tree was blocking my view. And so we talked about it, and he gave me permission to cut down the tree. It really wasn't a tree. It looked like a tree. It was as big as a tree, but it's a Russian olive tree. It's a noxious weed, and I'm telling you, it's noxious. Amen. So he gave me permission. I hired a tree company, and they came out there, and they cut it right down. At the, at, at, right, they had just a little stump there. And then about three or four months, they dragged all that stuff away, and then about three months later, the sprouts started coming back. And within six months, it was already about four feet high. And... and uh, and so we went back out there and cut all those things off. This happened two or three times. 
and they kept growing back. You could, it, they were indestructible. It's a noxious weed. And so finally, a friend of mine from Oklahoma City, him and his wife came out to spend a, a week or so with us, and he owns a landscaping company. And I was telling him, he said, oh, we'll take care of this deal. He went down to one of the local landscapers there in Monument, and he said, you got a big drill? And I said, yeah. He said, let me have it. So he went out there, and he drilled five huge holes in the trunk of that tree. And then he put the poison down in it. We haven't had a problem since. Amen. But we got to the root of the problem. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our hearts and our lives. That's why we embrace holiness. This is exactly the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives of believers. It's one thing to be forgiven. It's another thing to be cleansed and empowered and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. He wants to so indwell us that he gets to the root of the problem. The blood of Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit works very much like what we did to that tree. The Holy Spirit must be permitted direct access to the root of the problem. You got the fruit of sin, but you got the root of sin. And it, it, it's, it's just silly to keep coming every day and asking the Lord to forgive you. And, and when, when the sin nature, I mean, we're born with it. I said, we're born with it. It reminded me of the guy, it's not in my notes, but I just thought about it. This guy come to the altar on Sunday, he'd pray through, and by Wednesday he'd backslide. He'd come to the altar on Sunday, pray through, and by Wednesday he'd backslide. He did this three or four weeks in a row. The pastor said, the only way I'm going to get that guy to heaven is praying through, then shoot him. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> no, there's a better way to live than that, brother. Amen. There's a better way to live. God wants to get to the carnal nature and cleanse us and purge us and empower us that he can live the life he wants to live through us. Transgressions need to be forgiven. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Justification, just as if I'd never sinned. But then you've got to get to the sin nature. And we're not talking about forgiveness. It's not our fault. We're born with it. So we need cleansing. I said we need cleansing. Carnal nature can't be forgiven. It has to be cleansed. And the blood of Jesus is the only antidote for this. That's why he suffered without the gate, that he suffered with his own blood, that we could be sanctified and made holy and get to the root of the problem. And it's only through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And that's the second reason why holiness is so important. Christ died for it. The carnal nature has to be dealt with. Somebody help me right now. The carnal nature has to be dealt with. If you don't, you're going to be one miserable, critical Christian. You're not going to be happy. You're going to be miserable, and you'll make everybody around you miserable. Amen. And then thirdly, we, we need holiness and to embrace it because our celestial home demands it. Without which no man should see the Lord. Isaiah 35, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean are not going to journey on it, but it's going to be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go on about it. No lion will be there, nor any ferocious beast will get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed of the Lord shall return. And the ransomed, praise God. And they're going to return with songs and everlasting joy in their heads. Glory to God. You won't believe what I heard on the way to chapel this morning when the road was called up yonder. Amen. Was, I think it was one of the, the, the local cowboy groups. But they were getting on with it, and I was having fun in the snow in my car. Amen. And gladness and sorrow, gladness and joy will crown their heads, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Do you all believe the scriptures this morning? It says, Psalm 24, 3, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? He who has clean hands, forgiveness, and a pure heart. 
cleansing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Not only later, people can see his living witness in and through us right now. Praise his name. It's clear the Bible tells us that if we desire to make heaven our home someday, we've got to be sanctified completely, holy, through and through. No sin, listen, no sin is going to be allowed into heaven because heaven is a holy place that cannot and will not tolerate sin, any sin, any trace of sin. And then this includes the sin nature in our hearts. If we're not delivered from that nature, God's work in us is not complete if God cannot completely cleanse us from all sin, then that would imply that God cannot completely defeat the power of sin in our lives. But whatever he's commanded, I said, whatever he's commanded, be ye holy. That's a command. Be ye holy, for I, the Lord God, am holy. And whatever he's commanded, he's provided for. He would be unfair if he gave us the command to be holy and, and attitudes and actions. It all comes from the heart. Before you can have holiness of attitudes and actions, it's got to come from the heart. And he would be unfair if he said, be holy and give us the power and the grace to be holy. And this next summer uh, in, in July, I believe it is, or no, next year, I'll be working with Dr. Tom Hermes again. I adore him. I love him with all my heart. And this is his phrase, not mine. I'm just borrowing it. He said, there's a solution to the pollution. Amen. I said, there's a solution to the pollution. You folks ever smile around here at all? Amen. There's a solution to the pollution. Thank God he's provided full salvation, full salvation to those who desire it. He suffered without the gate that we could be sanctified and make heaven our home. I came across the story of a minister. He told one Sunday night he was quarantined in his own house because his child had diphtheria. And he watched his church next door, his church, that he was pastoring, but he could not enter into it. He saw the light shining through the windows. He watched the people going in to worship. And then the music started. And he listened to the music and the singing. And finally, it was so festive and celebratory, he couldn't stand it any longer. So he snuck out the back door, and he crept up close to one of the windows of the church. And he looked in to see all that was going on. Within the church, everything was bright. But outside the church, they stood in the chill of darkness. And then he said, for the first time in my life, I realized what it meant to be shut out. And then this thought, someday I'll be standing at the gateway to heaven. And what a terrible thing it would be if the gates of heaven were closed to me. And I would be shut out into everlasting darkness. God does not want that. I said, God does not want that, and nor do you. And we simply cannot neglect the only means of opening heaven's gates, holiness without which no man should see the Lord. We cannot neglect to embrace and accept the acceptance of him by faith who suffered without the gate that he might sanctify us. Heaven demands that we're to be holy in order to go there someday. And this is why holiness is so important. And this is why we need to embrace it. No one will make it to heaven without it. That's why we have as a cardinal song of our church, holiness unto the Lord, now and forever, called unto holiness. God help us. I hope we never change our message. 
I said, I hope we never change our message. We need to embrace holiness. Holiness is our watchword and our song. It's what we're all about, folks. I said, it's what we're all about. We must sing it and shout it loud and long. Holiness needs to be embraced because Christ died for it. The carnal nature has to be dealt with. And our celestial home, heaven, depends upon it. Holiness is essential. The Bible is a holy Bible. It's a book on holiness. It tells of a holy God who sent his holy son to make his people holy. Man in the Garden of Eden lost his original state of holiness through sin. But the Bible reveals a plan of salvation that restores man to a holy state of righteousness and purity. How? Through the holiness of Christ. And I've got good news for you. He who knew no sin became sin. For us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Bless his holy name forever. The Bible promises us, because Christ in us, that man can dwell forever with a holy God and a holy people. But Hebrews 12, 14 has to be embraced. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man should see the Lord. We got to have it. I said we got to have it. It's not optional. It's absolutely mandatory. And I would assume that everyone listening to me in this crowd, there was that time and place where you totally consecrated your heart and life to Christ as a Christian and received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then we need many infillings, subsequent infillings along the way. If there's anybody here, maybe you don't understand it all. I'll tell you what I was told a long time ago. Don't worry about what you don't understand. Worry about what you do understand. Amen. It happened to me about six or eight weeks after I was saved. I felt like Paul, the things I wanted to do, I couldn't. The things I didn't want to do, I did. And I was tripping and falling, skinning up my spiritual knees. But I kept telling the Lord, if I fall, I'm going to fall towards you. I'm not going the other way. And I was walking in all the light that he had for me. And I believe I'd, I, would gone, I was going to heaven. I just didn't understand it. Upon recognition of your need, you've got you to gotta have faith and obedience to the promises of God. But I didn't. he's not going to hold us accountable for something we don't understand. But then one night, about eight weeks after I was born again, I heard a message on the need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I hit the altar. I was singing that night. I hit the altar from the platform side. And I knelt there on a Sunday night. I said, Lord, I don't understand all the terms and terminologies. But I want everything you've got for me. And I consecrated my life. And he filled me with the Spirit. And from that time to now, I've walked in a spirit of obedience to the Lordship of Jesus. Problems and trials, yeah, but we'll get off on a tangent there. You need, the, the, you need the fullness of the Holy Spirit 
not only look victorious over sin and temptation, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to get you through the rough times. Out of your innermost being shall flow, not trickle, flow. There's a big difference between a flow and a trickle. Flow, rivers of living water. You know what, I, I get asked this question everywhere I go. What do you see in the church as you travel, Gary? If I'm going to answer that correctly, I see a lot of tired, wore-out Christians. We're saved by faith, sanctified by faith. We're kept by faith. We walk by faith. Seed of Abraham was the seed of faith. But I'm glad the Holy Spirit lets us know when he's around. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that truly we're the children of God. And every church I go to, board members, Sunday school teachers, leaders in the church that love God and they love the church, but they're tired, they wore out. If their heart represented a gas tank, it'd be on empty because of all the stress and trials they're going through. You need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Not only for the reasons I just gave you, but so that you can be victorious and not a victim. Can I get an amen from somebody? Real quietly, Brother Attic, would you play that holiness is what I long for? Real quietly. One of the last times I ever saw Dr. Williamson alive. Down in Mesa, Arizona. I was speaking at a church down there, and John Williamson was pastoring another church down there. We got together one day, and John said, You want to go see Dad? And I said, I sure do. We went over this condominium about three in the afternoon. He had no idea that we were coming. Walked in, Mrs. Williamson was in the front room and she greeted us. Then she said he's in the back. So we went back and he's sitting there in his pajamas and house coat and had him on these TV trays on rollers across his lap. He had the Beacon Bible Commentary and the Bible. And I walked in and he saw me and I saw him and his face lit up. I said, hi, Doc, what are you doing? He said, get new truth, Gary, get new truth. <laughs> At that age, still studying the Word of God in the book of Nahum. And he closed the Bible and we talked for about 15 minutes. John was there. Dr. G.B. gave me a charge, like Paul must have given Timothy. Do the work of the evangelist. And he started quoting scripture as only he could. And that Shekinah glory came all over his countenance. I can't even describe the atmosphere. It was mesmerizing. I was stunned. We had such a visitation of the Holy Spirit. He quoted scripture for five minutes. I couldn't even begin to tell you the scriptures he quoted. 
when he got done, I walked over to him. I put my arm. He was sitting down. I walked over, put my arm around him. I kissed his cheek. And he and I knew, we both knew, it would be the last time we'd see each other here. And I kissed his cheek and I started to walk away. I went about five steps. He said, Gary. I stopped and I said, yes, sir. Two things, son. I said, yes, sir. He said, don't ever quit playing golf. I said, thank you. Thank you, Doc. He said, some people don't understand it, but you need it as an outlet. And then he said, Gary, preach holiness. We're a holiness church. And then he said, if you don't preach holiness, I'll come back and haunt you. And I'm more afraid of him than I am the Lord. I'll tell you that right now. Don't you think that those of you that have ministries here, I didn't say a job. I didn't say a vocation. The secretaries, the assistants, everybody behind the scenes. I'm biased and I make no apology for it. This is one of the most important schools we have in our denomination of teaching men and women to go out and proclaim the message of holiness, without which you're not going to see the Lord. It's not a job you have. Every one of you are making a contribution to this school. You're working behind the scenes, but God's accrediting your account. You're not doing it for the Church of Nazarene. You're not doing it for Dr. Graves. You're not even doing it for the college. You're doing it for him. I said, you're doing it for him. So don't you dare get discouraged. We are partnering with one of the greatest messages we could ever be a part of. And all these students that come here are online. We need to teach and preach holiness so they can go out and be used of the Lord in their future ministries. Can I get an amen? So you just keep on keeping on. God's keeping score. You're not doing it for anybody else but Him. And you could not be a part of anything more important than what you're doing in this school. I believe it. We're just going to stand and sing this again. Now listen, listen. How many believe the Holy Spirit is here right now? Come on. How many believe the Holy Spirit is here right now? Do you believe it? How many love each other? Well, most of you. Amen. How many believe in prayer? Would you raise your hand? How many believe prayer changes things? Would you raise your hand? We're just going to sing this. And the Bible said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. If ye then, being evil or human, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Listen to me. As important as your ministry is, you can't do it in the flesh. You're going to get tired and wore out. It has to be done in the Spirit. And if there's anybody here, we're among friends. We're among family here. There's nothing. You believe in prayer? Raise your hand. Coming to the altar and praying, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And if you're tired and you need a new fresh anointing, why don't you just come and get it? Amen?
Amen. Anybody here tired? Need a new fresh anointing? Can I make a suggestion? Why don't you just obey the Holy Spirit? Let Him come and flood you afresh and anew. Amen. Pray for us, Doc. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this message that our brother has shared with us today. We know it comes right from your word, and we take it seriously, and we embrace it with our hearts, and we desire to live as holy people. Thank you for Gary. Thank you for his ministry. Thank you for the way he lifts up our Savior, Jesus Christ. And may you bless him this day, and bless us as we serve you, Lord Jesus in the task that you've called us to fulfill. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.